man, goodness. Great job today. I thought they might clap. Great job, man. Yeah, great. And the kids, man, I, we just, uh, that was so fun to watch the kids. And we got some back row Baptists today. We added chairs and y'all skipped the front. That's fine. I'm not going to make you feel bad about it. All right. Uh, so glad each of you is here. Everybody doing okay? Cool. Yeah, this is going great. So I'm really excited about the, the text we're going to look at today. Acts chapter 5. Go ahead and turn there. We're going to study the whole thing pretty much. We're going to really roll through Acts chapter 5. We're, if you're new to us, we've been walking through this book, uh, the, the, the book of Acts. And so we're going to continue in that right now. So get your pens ready. Leave the Bible open. Look at Acts 5.14. And more than ever... Believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. If you've been walking with us through Acts, you're like, more than ever, Dad, come, that's, that's crazy. Because in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people got saved in one day. And then it said in Acts chapter 2, every single day, a bunch of people were getting saved. And then in Acts chapter 3, we saw 5,000 men got saved at once. Okay, we got to assume that their families also did as well, came to the Lord. And so now by Acts chapter 5, they're like, it was a multitude. We can't even keep count. 3,000, 5,000, it was a multi, it was a lot, okay? So, you know, in Acts chapter 1, again, there's 120 people of Acts 5, there's a multitude, they can't even keep count. And make no mistake, Jesus wants his church to grow. So we want our church to grow, right? Not so that we can build a building or really feel good that we did something together. We want our church to grow because Jesus wants our church to grow. He wants Redemption City Church to reach more people with the gospel. And we got a lot of things to focus on. You know, we do. You know, we're a new church, right? We got to, you know, we got to really focus on hospitality and prayer and fellowship and all these things. But the bullseye for us, the very center of what we're trying to do is new believers being added to the Lord, like it says there in Acts 5.14. New people getting saved, coming to the saving faith in Jesus and, you know, it's not the only thing that matters, right? Okay, we have a lot of things to focus on. But just, you know, like in basketball, our kids had four basketball games yesterday, okay? That's what we did all day. Okay, so, but in basketball, you got, yeah, great job. So, all of them scored, by the way. Anyway, so, in basketball, you got to focus on passing, right? You got to focus on blocking out, getting a rebound. I'm sure that's not how you do it, okay? But you got to focus on that. But at the end of the day, the idea is to score points, Okay, so the bullseye for us, the bottom line is new people that are outside of the faith coming to know Jesus. And so we can have a big, we can build a big, comfortable, not basketball gym, impressive building. We can have hipster quality coffee upstairs. We can do all that, okay? But if we're not reaching new people for Jesus, that's what Jesus wants for us, okay? That's the target, all right? So new believers being added to the Lord is what we're after. A church on the move will see more and more people coming to Christ, more people baptized. We will experience growth, Okay. And that happens as you go on mission, as you reach people in your community, as you initiate conversations, you invite people and your neighbors, and you serve people outside of this room. That's how it's going to happen. You know, nobody's, look, nobody's coming to Redemption City because they're really dying to go into a basketball gym and sing songs with people that they don't know. That's, that's not people right now Ben Brooke, they're like, oh, man, I wish there was a, like a basketball gym full of people. No, that's not happening, okay? As you serve your neighbor, students, as you invite people in your class, when you initiate and you invite somebody, that's how we will step toward God's desire for Redemption City to grow. And we're growing, praise God. Only God can do that, okay? But as we continue, as long as there's one person in Fort Worth that doesn't know Jesus, we're not done growing, okay? So the apostles here, and we'll see today, they didn't, like, develop a business plan. They didn't create a strategy to reach the influential people and maybe have some gospel trickle down. Okay, that's not what they did. They followed a compassion strategy, 
which they saw Jesus do in his ministry. They learned this from Jesus directly. They just preached Jesus and loved people. They just preached Jesus and served the needy. They just preached Jesus and made themselves available, and the church grew and grew and grew. So that's what we're going to try to do around here. You know, so God continues to bring thousands. I just want to show you this really quickly. I know a lot of people don't get as fired up about, uh, you know, charts as I do. But I want you to look at this chart really quickly. This was shared in a, a school board meeting for 4th ISD last week. This is, so West Park Elementary is less than a mile from here. They're growing so rapidly, they're about to build another elementary school basically right next door because more and more people, God has, God has made Fort Worth the fastest growing city in the country, so he's bringing all these people to our doorstep. The, the superintendent told me last week they're about to build another high school off of 28, 71, and 20, right by my house. Maybe, if, maybe we'll cut that from the podcast. I don't want everybody to know where I live, but pretty close to here. Less than a mile from here, they're building another high school in a couple of years because we're, this area is just growing so quickly. And I see that as God's movement for Redemption City. That God is bringing people here to our doorstep, quite literally, so that more people and more people and more people that we can invite to know Jesus in a personal way. That's up to us. The harvest is plentiful. plentiful okay? God has strategically placed us right here to reach all these people. So in Acts, okay. Up to where we'll read in a second in Acts 5.17, Peter and John, the apostles, have been, they've been preaching the gospel, they've been healing the hurting, and they have been ticking the powers that be right off. They're, they're mad at them. We saw a couple of weeks ago that the powers that be, uh, they told Peter and John in Acts 4.18, hey, don't do this again. We don't want to find you here again, okay? But, but of course, you know, Peter and John know who's in charge. They know who's calling the shots, so they, they just keep going. They actually turn up a little bit, and they keep sharing the gospel. So this church, the early church in Acts, they weren't just growing in number, okay? Uh, not just more people to come and fill a seat. They were growing in their love, we can see. They're growing in their faithfulness. They're growing in their giving, in their, uh, in their faith. So their heart was growing as a church. And any time, whenever you see a church like this that's reaching people and who's growing together in unity, watch out because opposition is coming, guaranteed. So here's the big idea of the sermon today, okay? Opposition equals opportunity. Opposition, it's not math, I know it's an equation, but don't worry, public school people like me, it's okay. Opposition equals opportunity. When you face, when we face opposition, that's an opportunity. I know that you want your circumstances to change. And you know what? It's okay to work for your circumstances to change, to ask God for your circumstances to change. But what if, instead of asking God to change your circumstances, you ask God how he wants those circumstances to change you? Read with me in Acts 5, 17 to 32. Again, keep your Bibles open. Look at verse 17. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and these powerful men were filled with jealousy. The high priest and the Sadducees loved power, and you see there they were filled with jealousy. That's not because they were like trying to protect their people from false you know, doctrine, nothing like that. They, they saw their power slipping away, and that really ticked them off. And so, you know, the Sadducees that's mentioned there, they were the theological liberals of the first century. They didn't believe in anything supernatural. They didn't believe angels existed, anything like that. That's, that's why they were so... Sad. That's how you know who grew up in church. There's this song, the Sadducees were so sad, you see. Elder Ed can teach you later if you don't know the song. He's happy to rock through it with you. I'm so sorry. Another kind of sort of obvious reason that these guys were upset, okay, they, you know, they're opposing the very reason that the universe was, crea universe was created. 
God created the universe to exalt Jesus, and they're fighting against that, and they keep finding they're knocking their heads against the wall because they're fighting against the very reason that God created the universe altogether. Sandy Wilson wrote, how foolish it is to oppose the king. The jealous anger in verse 17 directed at Peter and John and the other apostles has less to do with what they're actually doing, their ministry, and everything to do with these men losing their power. So we experience this type of anger today. You know, we really do, Christians do. I think... So, and I can give you all kind of examples from experience in ministry. At the last church I served at, I led a foster care ministry, and we, it went great. Like, all our, the church people really responded to taking in these foster kids who Jesus cares about into their homes. It was this amazing movement. And I could never explain why, but so often we were attacked for it. From the outside, unbelievers would attack the different foster care agencies, whether it was they weren't, we weren't inclusive enough or whatever the situation was. Unbelievers would attack. I never understood why. The only people that were affected by their attacks were the foster kids. Who can't agree that foster kids need, need homes, right? But all the time that we would experience this anger from the outside as we were trying to help foster kids, right? So the reality is, if you're doing Jesus' work, be prepared for opposition. It's almost antithetical to what we think. Opposition often follows those who do good. First Peter 4.19 says, Let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So that suffering, you shouldn't take as an example of God, oh, this isn't God's movement, let's do something else. But oftentimes it means that God is in it, okay? Let's keep going in Acts chapter 5, verse 18. They, the, the powers that be, arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. Now, uh, public prison was seen by the public as pretty obvious. There's like an open-air prison of sorts, okay? And so it was really to teach somebody a lesson. A lot of, a lot of times you kind of let them dry out there, okay? You would shame them, and then they would stop doing what you want them to stop doing, like verse 19 to 21. But during the night, so they're in prison, during the night, an angel of the Lord, the Sadducees didn't believe that angels existed, but here they are, opened the prison doors and brought the apostles out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach right then. Okay. They obeyed instantly. Okay. They didn't ask the angels for more understanding. They didn't, add, they, they didn't put their two cents in. They heard God's command and they obeyed the rest of that verse. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel. A lot of powerful heavy hitters here. And sent to the prison to have them brought, the apostles brought in. But when the officers came, they did not find them there. So they returned and reported, hey, so we, we found the prison securely locked. Everything fine there. And the guards sitting at the doors, check, check. But when we opened, there was nobody there. Now, when the captain of the temple, kind of like the chief of police, and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what would come next. So they were baffled, okay? We, we, all of a sudden, men who were so sure that they would never lose their power are getting very, very nervous Okay, it's getting better and better. Look at verse 25 to 28. And somebody came and told him, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and they're teaching the people, just like you told them not to. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Power dynamics are changing. And when they had brought them, the 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 chief priests brought in the apostles. They set the apostles before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. The council was like, Man, you're making us look bad. What are you, what are you doing? And of course, 
you know, we, we told you not to preach in this name. This name, of course, is the name of Jesus that they're talking about. It's the name that heals. It's the name that restores, the name that saves, the name that is above every name. You know, my, my, in my home church, we used to have a song we'd sing that we said, there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. We used to sing, kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name, Jesus. Amen? You got to love the apostles' response in the next verses, 29 to 32. But Peter and the apostles answered back, we got to obey God rather than y'all. Amen. Tattoo that if you're getting tattoos. The God of our fathers, and see, then, then all of a sudden, instead of being intimidated by his circumstances, instead of seeing this opposition as a, as a chance to go, hey, yeah, my bad, he shares the gospel with these people. Okay, look at verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, who you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted Jesus at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses. We saw it firsthand. So is the Holy Spirit who God has given us to those who obey him. I love that. So this is civil disobedience at its finest, okay? Uh, you know, the biblical writers all throughout the Bible consistently teach us to recognize authorities over us, that, to see them as God established over us, to respect government authorities. Peter himself, who's in this scene, later in the, in the scriptures wrote, honor the emperor, Okay, Peter's in on that, and all the way as we've studied Acts, and they keep getting thrown in jail, and before these councils and all these things, Peter and John and the apostles have had the utmost respect. They've, they've been above reproach in their dealings with the government, okay? But there are times when a Christian cannot obey the state and should not. So here's the obvious reason why in Acts chapter 5, they cannot stop preaching the gospel, even if they, it's like they, they just can't. So Peter and John here, they meet enormous opposition, right? The high priest in the court that, they, that they're in just had Jesus in this court. And, and they know how that played out. They know what could happen to them, okay? But they face opposition and they take the opportunity to share the gospel. Again, the Sanhedrin's like, man, we told y'all not to do that. What do you have to say for yourself? And they give a summary of the gospel. They speak the gospel. Listen. As you face opposition in your life, don't waste your Sanhedrin moment. When you're going through something, don't waste that platform that God gives you to say the gospel, to summarize the gospel, to share what Jesus is doing in your life or has done in the past. Give people the truth. That's all the apostles are doing. Okay, they didn't, they didn't set out to create conflict. They just wanted to do ministry. They're, they're healing people and helping people, okay? Um, but they set out to do ministry, and, the, and then God gives them this opportunity, and they step up to the plate. As the council, next in the scene, I won't read it, I'll just summarize. As the council then sets forward, they're ready to drop the hammer. They're ready, as verse 33 says, they're ready to kill these guys. They're done, they're fed up. Well, a powerful and respected Pharisee named Gamaliel, that name may ring a bell, he steps in and he goes, all right, guys, hang on, okay, to the council. Hang on, hang on, Let, let's not kill them, okay? This has happened before, okay? The, Theodos and... Uh, Judas from Galilee, another Judas, not the one that, that, you know, that we know. They, they said they were the Messiah. They came, but they weren't. And then they died, and this all, they all kind of dissipated. Let's just let this play out. All you're going to do is stir the hornet's nest, kick the hornet's nest if you kill these guys. So let's not do that. And then he says, verse 39, look. But if this movement is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them anyway. You might even be found opposing God. And they took his advice. They didn't, they didn't kill these guys. Look at verses 40 to 42 as we finish reading. And then the council called in the apostles, and they beat them and charged them again not to speak 
in the name of Jesus, and they let him go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing, man, circle that word, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer, to, to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that, that the Christ is Jesus. They faced tremendous opposition, but they saw it as a blessing, that God would count them worthy to suffer for him. Jesus in John 15, 20 says, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute, persecute you. Not a matter of if, but when. First Thessalonians 3, 3, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this persecution. Second Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Plain fact. In any missionary overseas will tell you that the gospel advances way more in times of trial, way more in times of persecution than when everything is smooth sailing. Sometimes God allows persecution, and sometimes God appoints opposition in our lives. So I've heard it said this way, Satan will put us through trials to make us fall, but God allows us to go through trials to strengthen us and to allow us to stand. That's the reason God sometimes allows it. So uh, trust Jesus, you know, through the trial. Again, it's okay to pray for your circumstances to change, to work for your circumstances. That's fine. But what is God doing through those circumstances to change you, to change your heart? Trust Jesus through the storm. These apostles were in jail because they did what Jesus asked them to do. That's why they're in jail, because they followed Jesus. And y'all, you know, Psalm 107, 35, if, if God can turn the desert into pools of water, he can do anything. I know what you're facing. I know a lot of things. And a lot of things I don't know what you're facing. But no matter what you're facing, hold on, have faith, endure, press ahead, trust him. Wait on him, cry out to him. Who knows? Change could be on the way. I don't know that I've ever, I don't know that I've ever read anything more surprising than verses 40 and 41 and 42. Okay, they were physically assaulted, they were beaten in public while innocent, and they left, verse 41 says, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Um, they, the persecution energizes them, you know? And I think you can only understand this if you're a Christian, I really do. Uh, ministry done by the power of the Spirit, focused on the gospel, brings this crazy sense of joy and, and great, crazy sense of peace and energy to you. You know, that's why it's the same reason why, like right now, Amanda, who sings up here, she's on a mission trip. And whenever people go on mission trips, they come back energized and they've been doing really hard ministry. They've been sweating and telling it's really hard stuff and they come back energized. This is why. OK, it's why a Christian feels rejuvenated after a gospel centered conversation. Gospel ministry lifts up in our spirits on a personal level and, and corporately together as a body. So. When they rejoice after being beaten, it is surprising until you realize who they've been rocking with for the past few years. They've seen Jesus do this firsthand. They've heard Jesus' teachings on this. Peter was present when Jesus taught about persecution in the Sermon on the Mount. He was there in Caesarea Philippi when Jesus taught about taking up our cross, which means dying. Peter listened to Jesus teach about the reality of people persecuting Christians. But now in Acts 5, Peter and his friends experienced Jesus' teaching. D.A. Carson says it this way. It's almost as if the apostles were, dare I say it, relieved. They had been giving astonishing authority, but instead of strutting around, talking about their power, they were a little worried that they had not suffered yet. Now they've been good and flogged, and they smile because they've been counted worthy to suffer for the name. 
Do you want real Christian joy? Then follow the Acts model. Be compassionate toward the needy. Be bold in your Christian witness. Be filled with integrity and respect and humility. Face opposition by faith in Jesus. Christians can take a beating with joy because Jesus took the ultimate beating for us. In him we live and by him we proclaim. Facing opposition is an opportunity for us to obey. Obey, obey has become like this bad word in today's society. But what would happen in your life if you started to obey Jesus in the exact way that he, commandment, he commanded? If you really obeyed Jesus, it would be a game changer for me. I don't know about y'all. Y'all looking at me all pious. I know it would be a game changer for me, okay? When the angel gave the instruction in verse 20, the apostles didn't ask for understanding. They didn't ask the angel to parse the verb for them. They obeyed, okay? They didn't say, go out there and, and do what got me in prison in the first place. No, I'm good. Hard pass. They didn't say that. They didn't go, okay, angel, actually, me, me and John, we've been working on another plan. Look at our whiteboard. We're going to do this right here. No. They obey. Well, y'all want more understanding. We well, all want to know what's going to happen a year from now. And, how, and then we, yeah, that's, but let me just share a quote with you that hit me right in the mouth this week. The vast majority of Christians are educated. They know more past their level of obedience. If you would just do what you already knew, Matt, your life would change. Charles Stanley, Southwestern's own Charles Stanley, has this famous saying. He says it all the time. Obey God and let him worry about the consequences. <laughs> Obey God and let him worry about what happens next. Parents, parents in the room, can you imagine how good your kids' lives would be if they would just do exactly what you said and immediately? How great they would have it? Okay, yeah, all the parents. That was a big response. Our obedience to God is to be immediate and exact. And that's what the disciples do here immediate and exact obedience and they get beaten for it you know sometimes what God commands will bring a real crisis um, we said yes to leaving a great job in January 2020 anybody make plans in January 2020 we put our yes on the table step out in faith tell everybody we're going it's gonna be great and then God and then the whole world I think y'all know what happened okay what God commanded of us was way more than we thought honestly. But now, with the benefit of hindsight, I cannot imagine a bigger blessing than planting during a pandemic. I really I can't imagine not being your pastor. Behind my, besides my family, the biggest blessing of my life. Our responsibility is to obey and then leave the consequences to him. One of my favorite lines in Acts chapter 5, and the ruling council, when they say this, they mean it as a negative thing. They're condemning the apostles when they say in verse 28, Man, we strictly charge you. We told y'all not to teach in this name. Yet here, look, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And this is our charge, to fill Fort Worth with the teachings of Jesus, to fill Benbrook and Bedford and Granbury with the wonderful teachings of life, of Jesus, teachings of hope, teachings of Jesus, all these. That's our response. That's our next step. And their response, once more in verse 29, they answered, man, we got to obey God. That's the only thing that we can do is obey God. And there it is. This opposition gave them an opportunity to obey, to obey Jesus, to obey his commands, to trust Jesus with the consequences. So how can we obey Jesus this today, this week? Is there a sin that you've been letting hang around? Okay, that you've been giving into that that's an opportunity to obey. Is there a calling that God has been whispering to you? Is there a family member or friend that that, that it's time to share the gospel with, to take that next step. Is there, maybe God's been calling you into ministry. 
overseas, something, maybe he's been calling you to make a change in your life altogether. Stepping into that calling doesn't guarantee smooth sailing. As we talked about, oftentimes the very opposite. But the safest place for you is in the center of God's will. Opposition is an opportunity for God to grow you, change you, mold you, mature you. You know, the American knack toward complacency is not the path toward freedom and growth. It's just really not. But don't miss the good news today, okay? We endure and we, we meet opposition with faith in Jesus. All these things, we do all this in Jesus. He's not putting this all on our shoulders this morning, okay? By faith in Jesus, we endure. By faith in Jesus, we step out. By faith in Jesus, we flee from sin. You know, I sort of joked about how great our kids' lives would be if they would just do exactly what we said. But sometimes I just picture God going, Matt, buddy, just, come on, just, just trust me here. Just, tr- just I actually kind of know, just trust me, just obey. In C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, um, Aslan, you know, the, the lion, uh, the Christ figure in the story, he looks at these kids that he loves so much. He looks them in the eye and he goes, you're not nearly as happy as I mean you to be. And this is the path. Here lies the path toward happiness and flourishing following Jesus. It's the only path in the world that works, believe me. God is for you. The opposition in your life is an opportunity to obey Jesus, an opportunity to grow in Jesus, an opportunity to bless people around you, an opportunity to trust Jesus. 